Tuesday, February 20th, and this is Season 7, Episode 24 of the Four Stars First Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony. With me this week is Lucas. Hello, hello, hello. Ty. Hey, everybody. And Catherine. Hello. Well, welcome back, Catherine. I, I guess you said it's been since September since you've been back, but yeah, I, it's, it feels it, like it hasn't been that long. It's definitely been a hot minute, so glad to be here. Oh, good. Well, maybe we'll get some uh, insight on uh, stuff for the club as well while you're on uh, in the second half. But um, but now I want to kind of roll the conversation into uh, before we start talking about the West Ham uh, victory yesterday. Um, I just want to have a general conversation about Conti. Um, so uh, as as we know, Conti stayed in Italy uh, after the Champions League match. Um, his health clearly wasn't a hundred percent back. Um, I think um, it was probably a, a, a good thing given the direction. And I think what we were seeing with uh, after the Leicester loss and then the, the league uh, kind of the Champions League kind of underperforming a, a little bit as well. Um, I think it we can kind of say that maybe he's not mentally fully there. Um, how are you guys feeling on the break? Is this a good thing for Conte and the club, or is this a, uh, or is this kind of concerning that he's uh, he's taking this break uh, as he recovers from the, uh, this health issue? Um, Lucas, go ahead. I have a bit of a pessimistic view on it. Um, just, I, I think it's a good thing for him health-wise, and that's the most important thing for him. Like you said, I think he didn't. I think he probably rushed coming back a little bit too early. And I think that for him, the most important thing is looking after himself and his health. But in terms of the club, I think it is indicative of the fact that I'd be a lot more positive about it if we had already had all the contract stuff out of the way and he's already signed a new deal and committed his future to Spurs. But for having all of that up in the air as it is and not knowing what our future is with him, to have him just kind of staying in Italy and it seems like that's where he probably Again, this is all speculation, but it seems like that's something that he's probably thinking about returning to Italy. Maybe he's more comfortable there. Um, I think that it is just it's I think it's very worrying that we don't have any future plan set in place. And he's kind of almost distancing himself himself from the club almost, it feels like. So it it, it is unfortunate because I think the best thing for the club right now is to try and get some kind of direction in place and say either you're with us for the future or you're not, because if he's not with us for the future, it does us no good to keep him around for the next few months. Like this is probably, we should be starting to look for a new manager now instead of doing what we did two summers ago where we wait until the last minute and we ended up hiring our like 11th choice. So if he's not committed, like I would like to see us start putting plans in motion now. And so we can have a manager in with a preseason and getting players in for his system instead of waiting for waiting to the last minute and, starting off with a brutal season next year. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to be concerned about his frame of mind to a certain ex- extent. Um, and you can understand it. Cause I mean, he, he lost three friends and then all of a sudden he has an illness and luckily that illness wasn't anything that severe or something that's, uh, you can, uh, correct through a, sur- a surgery. But it, that has to put you in a bad mental place, and maybe he shouldn't be coaching. And and you can kind of understand why he would want to go back. But yeah, it kind of puts us in this weird spot, especially since we're 
we're still not in a horrible position. Like, it's tough to say that, like, oh, we should be sacking this guy. And it, why would you sack a guy that's this ill, that, that's ill and has a justifiable reason to not be coaching right now? But it's just a really weird situation. Sai? Yeah, um, obviously, I, I, I agree. Um, his health is the most important thing. I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to flip it a little bit here. I, just like Sun coming on and being benched and coming on and scoring all these goals off the bench. Like him being gone and the, the and the players having to react to that um, seem to be it's not against him. It's just they, they seem to have to work harder. It just seems like it's forcing a little bit of life into the squad. Um, and uh, I don't think um, him being gone um, is really anything that's going to be long term. I do think he's going to end up signing. He he always says how much he enjoys being here. Yes, he's living through a hotel, which is atrocious so maybe he will end up going back to italy with his family who wants to live in a hotel for three years but um he i feel like it's given the the squad a like a, a crazy little boost it's weird to even think that but like even sun off the bench um just little things like that is just a spark plug that the spurs have needed for the last like gosh like a month and a half just needed something to kind of like push us yeah uh catherine I agree with Lucas and Sai. There's not also too much more that I can say, but I can say it'll be interesting. It's interesting, Sai, that you say that you think he's going to stay, whereas I'm a little bit more bullish on that. But if he does stay, it'll be interesting to see who he really incorporates into the squad and what uh, what other positions that he's going to prioritize to get new players and, and to have the the uh, competition with the positions. But then also, if he leaves, what are we going to do about those players that he specifically brought in for his formation? Because we've had that happen in the past with Mourinho and Nuno, especially, that they brought in players and then it didn't really mesh or meld with the squad because then the the successor didn't play the players how they should be. And so I, whatever is right for Conti, I'm fine with him, him himself as like managing and, and health wise, but for the, for the team and the squad, I'm, that's where I'm more not confused, but I'm just racking my brain to think about, okay, if the, all of the scenarios of if he does stay and he gets he gets better and and he does stay or if he gets better and just goes back to Italy and is the Italian national team coach or whatever but yeah i agree that i'm glad that he did stay though uh in Italy because he does need to get better and so then once he does come back he can manage with full force yeah well uh, oh go ahead i'll say to, to to uh to but Luke, I think Luke is right uh, about if he's going to leave, let's get our manager in now. Let's let's be ready to like talk about preseason in the summer, talk about next year. And I think you know these last couple of weeks with Conte at home, he's probably doing a lot of thinking. I mean, he's having to manage the club from afar. He's he's thinking about where he wants to be, how how that feels. And I think Conte really is going to do what's best for the squad. Um, and the man makes a ton of money, um, and he's going to make a ton of money wherever he goes again. This is not a money thing. He's not trying to like ride the, ride the contract out to see all the money, blah, blah, blah. He's going to make the right thing. So if 
if him and Libby get together and they're like, they, they, he says, hey, I, I think I'm not going to sign, Libby's going to probably going to pull the plug on him. And we're going to have to start uh, intern manager Ryan Mason again. And uh, and then we'll go to the summer with uh, bring somebody in. But Catherine, like you said about the about the squad, listen, every Premier League does this. We 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 build a squad. We feel like it's a lot of great players. Yes, a few for a system. But you hope to have the Emersons that can play right back in a different system, or you hope to have you know the Davies who could play basically fucking anywhere. Jesus, Davies, you're awesome and a legend. But um, he, uh, I, I just I, I just think let's not worry about who we bring in. Let's just worry about tomorrow, the next game, what happens, and go from there. That would be my thought. Yeah, no, I think that is a good thought. And I think this is a good way to roll into our first listener question. Uh, so our first listener question comes from the, the Twitter account we call Big Bird. So at AP23871 asks us, it seems as if the team plays with more energy and purpose under Stellini. Uh, do you guys agree? Also, the, the dude's 5-0 and oh when subbing for Conti. Should he not be on the uh, short list of potential managers when Conti leaves? What do you guys think on that? Uh, Lucas, you can tackle it first. Well, unfortunately, the way we see these managers work is they work in teams. So he's most likely, if Conti goes, he's going with them most likely. That's how these managers take their whole system with them. Um, and no, I don't think it's... I don't think it's fair to be throwing Conti under the bus and say, oh, well, the, the players play better without him. But I think what we've seen and the reason that it's worked successful is the one thing that Conti has shown as a weakness is his inability to be flexible and change things up. And when we've seen Stellini come in, we've seen trying different things or rotating different positions around or giving guys a break or even instead of running into running sun into the ground, it's having fresh sun come off the bench in 60 in the 60th minute yesterday, or just, so there's, or putting Ben Davis at left wing back. Like there are different things that you can try. It doesn't all have to be your system, either it's working or it's not. And that's it. And I'm not going to make any flex or any flexible changes. And I think that's what we've seen. That's been the one main difference between Stellini and Conti. And who knows? Maybe Conti had a lot to do with that. I'm sure he and Stellini are talking every day, constantly talking after every training session and seeing what's working. And I'm sure he has a big part of it. But I think the players feel a little bit more free to express themselves when they're not in such a rigid system. Well, and, uh, and to that point, I, that was what, what I was going to say. Uh, um, Stellini even said in his interview, post-match interview, that that he's been talking to Conti before, and it was Conti's plan. And and let's face it, like these two wins that he's got in uh, City and this one West Ham are pretty, uh, um, I don't know, cookie cutter uh, Conti wins when you think about it. Like it's uh, this is how Conti uh, works out these. So naturally, the guy that's going to work with him, and I'm sure he's going to go with him if uh, to answer the question. I'm sure he's going to go uh, with Conte if Conte leaves, um, so he wouldn't even be a replacement option. But uh, I, I think you're right. You've hit on it exactly. He's these, these players are uh, just maybe a little bit more at ease, um, maybe without Conte there breathing down uh, their necks. Maybe they feel free to make a few more mistakes because I think sometimes we see that they're just too concerned to make the errors and they don't freely express themselves as, as players. Um, 
And and I think that's kind of what's been hurting us in a lot of these other games. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't see it as an option. What do you guys think? Think uh, going to the question before we transition, uh, Catherine. Well, and I don't know what Sai is going to say, but I I think that well, we don't know what happens. Like we don't know how much Stellini and Conti are talking, even though it could be like constantly every day via text and FaceTime or whatever, or it could just be they agreed on a drawn up plan. But I do find it interesting, which is what we saw during West Ham, that it might just be that the players themselves are, regardless of who's on the touchline, it, it could just be that it finally clicks. And like yesterday with Sun, like we don't know what has happened during training or in like any conversations that he's had with the managers and, and the coaching staff. And so he may, may have just been too in his head. And then yesterday it just, he had the release of, of the goal. And so um, that could have been it, but I don't think that we, I think it's a lot of factors and I don't think that we can really necessarily say like if Stellini were to take over and he didn't go with Conti after whenever Conti leaves um, that the players would play better under Stellini, but I think that they they just need to find the happy medium between like, oh, we're playing well, each individual player is playing well, but then also together as a collective under the manager. Um, and because we've seen great performances though under Conti. And it's not that uh I don't think it's necessarily Stellini being on the touchline or anything. I think it's just everything kind of coming together at one time and it just hits the right note and the choir sings in unison to mix like 18 metaphors together. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I, Stellini's gone once Conte goes, it's, there's multiple reasons behind that one he's a Conte system guy we're getting rid of the Conte system that's what's going to end up happening if we don't like what's happening it's gone we're not just going to sit here and just keep bringing in people uh within Conte and he's learning under Conte and he's not ready to be his own thing yet all these coaches want to be head coaches I mean that's that's why they're doing this so it's not unfathomable that he is is in the market to be our head next head head coach or uh but he won't he won't be the very very next one um but besides that, no, I just, I, yeah, to answer the question, zero chance he's the next coach. Yeah, well, um, and I think this is a good place to roll into a conversation about the West Ham match. So um, um, clearly this was a good performance. Um, I think when most of us were coming in, we were looking at the the rotated squad. I was very happy to see Sun benched because uh, anybody who listens to this podcast regularly knows I've been saying over and over again, bench him. It's not that I don't love Sun. He's just uh, the, the type of player that needs a break every once in a while. And uh, and we're going to take the, the best advantage out of his skill set by uh, using him off the bench at times. Sometimes starting him, but uh, oftentimes, like as he ages, we're going to get the most out of him by bringing him in late and le- letting him run at tired legs. So, um, so I, I was very happy about that. Um, 
we kind of looked at the wing back situation. I was uh, I was wondering if Poro was going to get the start here, but he didn't, and we'll certainly talk about the results of that uh, as we have this conversation. And then we saw um, Ben Davis on the, uh, the the left, which was uh, kind of like, okay, well, this is uh, a Perisic, I, again, another aging player, certainly needs a break. Um, but this was some rotation. How were you guys feeling when you saw this squad? Were you concerned or, or uh, happy with what you were saying? Um, Catherine? Yeah, I was uh, pleasantly surprised, especially. And I like to take the the perspective that players aren't benched, they're rotated. And we need to accept that as fans, where it's not that, yes, he has been not playing up to his son. I'm speaking to son right now. Um, he's not playing up to his own standards, nor our standards as supporters. But uh, you need to have that rotation. Otherwise, like he might just continue on that path of consistently not performing to his best. And so to have that rotation is extremely important. And I know I've mentioned this before in the, on the podcast um, about rotation and that it's not players being benched. It's just you need to figure out, especially with our upcoming, we have a slog of matches in the next like two to three months in Champions League, FA Cup and the Premier League that we will have to see players being benched, quote unquote, or rotated. And so I was, like I said, pleasantly surprised. And I, like Sai said earlier, like I appreciate Ben Davis so much. And I have a kit from like five years ago and I didn't really wear it that much five years ago because everyone was just knocking on him so much. But now I'm like, maybe I should wear it a little bit more because He's getting the plaudits that he deserves. Um, but then we're seeing those players like a Ben Davis or um, like a Richarlison coming in and rotating in for Sun that they are able to get the game time and get the minutes under their belts and, and really get the uh, experience that they need to be getting if they're in three three competitions. Yeah, and I think for me the the thing I think the the big one I was excited to see was with Charleston. Um and I think just because I'd said it in the group chat the other day there's cuz Rick was Rick our podcast contributor would he had mentioned something about Chelsea spending 700 mil and not buying a striker and I I said that we bought a striker for 70 mil we don't use him. So what's the point of that? So it's it was good to see Richarlison finally get some minutes and like Catherine mentioned, with all the matches that we have coming up in three different competitions, we're going to have to get creative with how we start lining up. And I think we're, even in the midfield, for example, we're only down we're down now to three guys. It's either Hoybear, Skip, or Saar. That's pretty much our midfield for the remainder of the season. So I think Basuma comes back in what like a couple months it is, but like that probably will be a he hadn't been getting experience playing for us anyway. So. It's going to have to be creative, so we're going to have to be a lot more patient when we see the lineups come out. We can't all freak out and say, oh, no, that's not what I would have done because we can't run these guys into the ground. I think Emerson um, was a, a good shout because he had played well against Milan. He had played well in like his last few matches that he had played in. So I think that was a good shout, giving him the run out against West Ham. I think we'll see him again against Chelsea, and then we'll see Poro get his kind of redemption shot almost and I don't want to slag him off because it wasn't all his fault against Leicester, but 
we'll see Poro get the start against uh, Sheffield United in the league or the FA Cup. But yeah, we, we got to just be really patient when we see these lineups come out. And I think that the thing we were all worried about was the potential getting overrun in the midfield because West Ham came in with a, a three-man midfield, which is what we've seen a lot of teams lay the blueprint as to how to beat us is just overrun us in the midfield. That's exactly what Leicester did. And so that's, I think, the one thing I was just concerned about was our skip and Hoiberg be able to do enough in that midfield to actually keep us from getting overrun. And I think the biggest thing was that West Ham, despite coming out with the three-man midfield, they let us have the ball in the first half. It was really weird. It was one of those tail of two halves type games where in that first half, they literally set back and let us have the ball and dominate all the possession. And we, it really worked because it didn't, we weren't able to really create anything. And then in the second half, when they opened up and came at us, we were able to just dominate the transition and actually hit them on the break a few times. So it was, um, I think their game plan actually worked. I think they just kind of they transitioned to a different attack in the second half that I think opened themselves up and they kind of shot themselves in the foot. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Lucas. And uh, to, to, to kind of go on with what Catherine was saying as well, rotations is just a, a big deal. Benching, no one's getting benched. Sun is not getting benched. This is a rotation thing. I think it starts now, especially with the, the amount of games coming. And with, with Richarlson, Sun, Kane, uh, Kulu, Decky, um, those guys can easily just keep moving. And I wouldn't mind honestly seeing Kane missing a couple matches here and there, especially like maybe even this FA cup match against which he probably will get uh, a rest, but like those guys just need to be keep, keep going, keep Richarlson, keep getting minutes, minutes, minutes. I know he hasn't, he hasn't scored for us in the premier league yet, but that does not bother me whatsoever. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd rather have 14 goals, but I, I think that his presence will be, um, will be seen when he gets more runouts. Um, and about the West Ham match, um, I, I I thought skipped after getting the yellow card at nine minutes in. I thought, okay, what's what's gonna happen here? He's gonna have to he's gonna have to chill um for the rest of the match and not be very like aggressive. And I, I kinda got worried about that. I think I said that to you at the bar, Anthony. But um thought we played pretty well against them. Um yeah they they I I think West Ham just looks really tired. I mean, I know we've been saying this about our squad for a while, but I mean, same guys in that squad look just like they're just weathered. They're tired. They need, they need fresh feet. Um, and if we would have lost that match, it would have been pretty brutal. They are in bad, bad shape. And, uh, and it was great to see us come out and, and, and dominate that second half. Let's talk about wingbacks and, uh, Lucas, you can tackle it first, but, uh, you had something you wanted to jump in with first, but let's let's transition the conversation into our wingback play this game. That that works great because I was going to jump in and talk about Ben Davis first. Um, I thought Ben was really, really, really good, and I think that he deserves extra credit for that because this isn't a role we've seen him play in like five or six years. Like he hasn't played a left wingback position in God knows how long. So for him to just randomly get slotted back in there and do the job that he did, if he had randomly got slotted in there and he played a five out of 10, I would have been like fair play. But for him to come in and have like a seven, eight out of 10 performance in a position that he hasn't played in years was really, really impressive. And it shows, it speaks a lot to his ability to be flexible and succeed in different positions. And I think that he was really, really good getting forward. He was aggressive. He was taking his man on, which is something we've really never seen from him. 
And it's something that we need our wingbacks to do, especially if we're not having any creativity going through the middle. So I really thought that he played exceptional out on the left. And I thought Royale played really well, too. Um, and it was it was helpful because I don't want to I don't want to congratulate and give us the biggest pat on the backs because it's not like the both wingbacks were unbelievable worldly performances. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact, like I said, that West Ham let us have the ball for that first half, which is, I think, had they tried to come at us, we might not be sitting here celebrating the performances of Ben and, and uh, Emerson. But the fact that they sat back allowed for Royale and Davis to have a little bit more leeway going forward. And that was really, like I said, they kind of played into our hands on that one in terms of those wingbacks. Yeah, I think that they probably saw the the way the, what our wingback selection was and had the reaction like, oh, we're just going to play this one defensive and try and counter. So, like, uh, they wanted us to have the ball because they didn't have any confidence that we'd have the uh, skill set to break them down. And, and I think they were wrong in that regard because ultimately we did. And it came from, uh, you know, first from... Ben Davis and uh, Emerson Royal uh, c- combining for uh, for a goal. Um, sure, that, backs, a got, classic Conti, two wingbacks contributing. There, Hoiberg on that goal was the. I think he was the maestro on that. That ball that Hoiberg played in to Davis was just unbelievable, and it was nice to see the ball through from Davis and the finish from Royale. So a nice little wingback to wingback connection. But I do want to say that was. That was Hoybier's doing. That was an unbelievable ball that he played. Oh, oh, certainly. Yeah, like Hoybier deserves the credit, but the the wing back positioning is what we've been screaming that we need to see out of our wing backs all year, and and we got it. Like yeah, that they're feeding each other the ball, um, and yeah, it was Hoybier's uh, a play that made it all happen. But um, but if if it was uh, a month ago, neither of those wing backs would have been in the right spot. To, to receive that and make that that play finalized. So um, I think they deserve credit too. Go ahead, Kevin. I think it, I think it was really smart. And I know we were mentioning Stellini and Conti earlier, but uh, whoever drew up the formation and, and the players and, and the personnel on, on the pitch, plus uh, that was great. Plus though, a lot of times we don't see all the connections happen and that's where we get frustrated. And so I really enjoyed the the connections that like Davis and and Richarlo, like Davis on the left side was able to push up and then make Richarlison kind of uh, slot in a little bit more into the box. And so then there was more movement going forward. And that's what we've been needing to see. And so I'm I'm glad that whatever whoever drew the, up the formation and the plan it actually came to fruition on the pitch because uh a lot of times we don't see that hookup happen and uh and that was really smart although although in the first half it was uh a little contentious at times just because we were close enough but we just weren't there and then west ham had a few even though they were fairly bad, just straight up bad yesterday, they did have a few shouts. And that's when I was like, is this actually going to work? But then came the second half. I was a little bit more at ease. 
Yeah, and, and and then ultimately Sun comes on in the 72nd minute. Um, how are you guys feeling about Sun being on at that point? And we hadn't seen a whole lot on the attack from Richarlison, um, though I was happy to see him in there getting minutes and experience. But um, uh, how are you guys feeling when Sun came on? And I think Luke, oh, go ahead, Sai. Yeah, well, I, I I was pumped to see Sun come on there because I think we all, I mean, he's come on for, he scored goals four of the five times he's come off the bench. So, I mean, it's it's been pretty remarkable what he's done given 60-minute rest and then come on in the last 30. Um, I was actually kind of hoping he would have come on for Decky um, and slot uh, Richarlison on the right and kind of get that that pairing, that, that, that trio a little bit of love. Um, Emerson and uh, Decky seem to be have a good rapport with each other, uh, running around each other on that right side. And uh, maybe that's why they, they, they took off for Charles and, and left that combination on the right uh, alone. But uh, no, I was, I was, uh, I was thrilled to see Sun come on and obviously he did what Sun does. So that was amazing. Lucas. Yeah. Two things. Cause there's two ways we could have played it. And I think we chose the right way. And I think with, with Kulichewski, he actually had a pretty poor game. Um, he had, I think, nine crosses that he put in, and like only one of them was like actually found a player. And with him, I think, and he, and he had one good one that he played. Um, I forgot it was like Kane or uh, Charleston. It was one of those two that he played it into. But it was, it was uh, subpar for what we expect out of Kulicheski. So I think I agree with Sai that it was because Kulu was playing bad. I was hoping that Sun was going to come on for him, but I think the way we played it was a lot better because of the work that Son, or excuse me, that Richarlison and Kane had been doing. So Richarlison had been basically working the hell out of these West Ham defenders and been running at him. Kane was able to sit back a little bit, drop deeper, and have Richarlison up top just running at these guys and pressing these guys and making them work, which leads to tired legs. And when you make this defense work like that for 60 minutes and then you bring on a fresh Youngman Son, that's a nightmare for defenders. So it was only a matter of time until Son was able to slip behind. So I like the way that we played that. We kind of wore him down wore him down with Richarlison and then swapped in one of the fastest players in the Premier League and the reigning golden boot winner. So you know that that's going to be successful. At some point, you're going to get your opportunity. And Sun did great to, obviously the ball from Kane didn't hurt, but Sun did great to actually capitalize on that opportunity and seal the game. Well, yeah, and to your point, like uh, Kane changing his role um, and being more of the, um, uh, the, the guy up top, uh, created the situation where Sun could uh, be there to collect that really impressive pass by by Kane. So, uh, again, we know that those are two guys that can combine together, but we've been seeing them struggle to do so this season, um, but not so much uh, when it's Sun coming off the bench. Uh, so I, I, I would like to see more of this rotation, if, the, if that's what we're going to call it. Uh, um, one, thing, one thing that I really... Sorry, butted in right there. But one thing I really have been enjoying seeing, and I was speaking to a few people yesterday after the match, that um, it's it's wild to understand who we know of Kane from seven, eight years ago to now. Because even though he puts consistently puts in top-notch performances, because his role has shifted and because of the players on the pitch – shifts with substitutions then he becomes a different player and he's by no means an attacking creative midfielder but that's almost like his role that he's becoming where he's just pinging balls in to to son or to other players like uh 
decky. And so it's really, I don't, I, I feel like a proud aunt or a proud mom or something when I see Kane do stuff like that, because we know that he can, he's incredible on the ball with, uh, with scoring goals, but also he's incredible on the ball with even getting back more into defense. And, and we've seen him make some lights out defending, uh, not like throughout a whole game, but he's had some of those moments where you're like, wait, was that Kane on the, on the goal line who headed it away or something, something like that. And so even yesterday that was, it made my heart warmed because I didn't realize it was Kane at first who, who slotted that in for the assist. But then when you see it, look at, at it back and, and kind of like what Lucas was saying earlier with Hoiberg's ball, like they were both so pristine and precise that I'm looking forward to the end of the season and, and seeing what we can do with the creativity that we have that we will need to bring to the pitch for the rotation and for the, the, um, with the injuries that we have and, and with the, uh, games that we're playing with our, uh, competitors. And so that was something that it's not necessarily what I saw yesterday specifically, but just more what I saw yesterday brought up a, a whole new conversation that I know that we've been having, but I just wanted to highlight that today. Yeah, and we didn't even need the handball penalty in this match. Uh, hey, uh, go ahead, Lucas. Yeah, that that one. I was I was just going to quickly say on Catherine's point. Yeah, Kane's obviously the total player. Um, I think there was a couple. There's a great example from like a few years ago. We played Burnley away, and Kane was like our best attacking player. He was our best midfielder, and he was our best defensive player. He like had two goal line clearances or something. I was like, this guy's all over the place. But um, yeah, I think. With that ball, like I didn't, even, you didn't even have to look to see who played at the Sun because you just knew it was like Harry. When a ball like that comes in, doesn't even have to look to see where Harry or where Sun is. He knows where he's going to be. Those two have a connection that obviously has never been seen in the Premier League before because they hold the record for most goals created between each other. So, I think with with your point though on that handball, that had to be the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Like, was because even the commentators weren't. We all thought at the pub, we were saying, well, maybe it was because the guy he was passing to, I think it was Kane, maybe was offside. Like, that's what we all kind of thought. But the announce, they didn't show a replay that would have showed, like, whether or not he was offside, which would be what you would do if there was any controversy of whether or not it's offside. They would show you a replay or something of it. They didn't show anything like that. The commentators never even brought it up, and they just kept showing the handball. So I'm like, how did something like that not get I, – I just – I don't understand. The ball was on the ground. It was like he swatted – it was like a goalkeeper. Well, and and Cy, like uh, we talked about this, like when when it came out of half, like uh, we we were watching the players talking to the referee on the pitch about it, and and they're he's sitting there like showing his hand, like they're clearly talking about the handball and not about offside, so it couldn't have been an offside, right, Cy? Yeah, yeah, VAR actually. Um, uh, back in the as they talked about this, VAR actually ruled that not a handball. It was nothing to do with offsides. Had nothing to do with Kane. They they viewed it as the hand, the arm was down, not in a egregious place, and was and was was not intentional, which I thought was insane. I mean, we I thought I mean, if you told everybody in the pub that that was not, it was only just not a handball. I think we all would have lost our fucking minds. Um, we've seen so many handballs. I'm not even going to talk about Champions League. We've seen so many handballs in this league. 
throughout the year, just this year, that have been called that are like uh, way egregious than that. Go ahead, Lucas. And I think that's where the frustration comes from is that we just don't understand as supporters, we've gotten to a point where we just don't even know what the rules are anymore. And I think that's where nobody we knows apparently. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> if there was a clear cut. If, if they, it's just the inconsistency is I think what bothers the hell out of all us. We don't know what a handball is and what a handball is not. We don't know what a foul is anymore. Like, well, it's like, it's like if you watch a different sport, the NFL, like what's, what's pass interference. It's, it's based on that guy's judgment for that second and it's not, re- and they don't review it. At least in VAR, they review it. I mean, it's literally a reviewable offense. Did this happen? Did it not happen? Did the ball hit an arm and stop it from going to our player to then proceed for a goal opportunity? Yes, it did. It was ridiculous. Yeah. And, yeah. and the thing that I was excited about, and this is a throwback to the first time we played West Ham away this season and we had that 1 1 draw. Um, I think the one thing that I was happy with with the VAR decision was at least they came to the decision within like 30 seconds to a minute, which again, it, it screwed us. I think they made the wrong call. I think it was a clear cut, obvious handball, but at least they only took like 45 seconds to be like, okay, let's resume play. When we played West Ham in uh, the fall, it was, we dominated the game for like the first 10 minutes. And then there was a penalty call on Kane or like, uh, I think Kane created like, a, I think it was a handball or something, but it was a penalty and they spent like five minutes reviewing it. And we all sat there for five minutes waiting, like, what the hell is going on? And then after the five minutes, they took it away. And that felt like a, it almost felt like a goal for West Ham. Like it was such a big boost for them and their supporters. And then all of a sudden their stadium came back to life. And when we had been dominating the game until that point, all of a sudden there's this five minute delay with this huge momentum swing. And then it's a brand new game. So I at least liked the fact that yesterday, I think they made the wrong call, but at least they got it done quick and we were able to resume play and keep our momentum going and keep dominating the rest of the first half. Well, let's go to MVP. Uh, Sai, uh, uh, you can take this one. If you had something you wanted know, to finish up with on the uh, v- the VAR, go no, ahead. No, I was just I was just giving I was just giving Lucas a thumbs up uh, in agreement. All right, uh, MVP. Let's let's start there. Um, I think my MVP was Davies. I I think just just the versatility of that kid. Not only did he have just a great game and and obviously a a nice little slotted assist, uh, but he just worked hard. Like, like Lucas said, he challenged all day long. And then when he when we took off um, Lungley, like he just slots right back in his position, um, and just you know just goes about his business every single day. And when he does stuff like he did um, yesterday or Saturday, sorry, um, or yesterday, uh, he. Um, just really impressed me. So I'm, I'm going with Davies. Catherine? Yeah, I'm I'm in between Davis and then also the midfield pairing of Skip and Hoiberg, just because we haven't even spoken about them except for when Cy mentioned that Hoiberg or that Skip got the yellow. And I thought that they had a really good pairing. It, it was just very solid. Like nobody really said anything when we were all speaking about the match that nobody really spoke about the defenders or the midfielders or nothing was extremely horrible or that we were up in arms. And so I think that's a, a great indication that when nobody's talking about the de- defenders or midfielders, that they're doing their job. And I think that it, that was a really important game because West Ham always uh, comes up against us as their cup final, as we all talk about but yesterday 
since they didn't come at us like it was their cup final, we were able to really shine within those defenders and mid midfielders. And so I would say either Davis or Davis or Skip slash Hoybeard. Well, and, and to your point, like uh, I really th- think uh, Skip is very good about cleaning up messes that uh, that occur like uh, out of that midfield. So like uh, somebody loses the ball. Even sometimes it's even him losing the ball, but he's very good about cleaning up the mess and get, getting possession back after uh, something's happened, which is something that we've been struggling with a lot, especially when we're uh, we're facing a midfield that's uh, got three players in it as opposed to our two. So good shout there, uh, Lucas. Who do you have for uh, MVP? Yeah, lots of guys are up there. I think Romero played amazing. I think. Uh, like Catherine mentioned, the midfield two were really, really great. Uh, Charleston worked his ass off. Kane was Kane, obviously, like he always is. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to go with Davis as well. I thought Ben was uh, very good. And like I said earlier, for a guy who coming coming back into a position that you haven't played in a long, long time to come in and give that kind of effort, I thought he was my MVP. Yeah, and I did have Davis down too, but I, I think like uh, we probably can't go leave this section without – mentioning the name Emerson Royal, because I I think it's more if we had to pick an MVP from the last three matches or the the last four even, I think maybe that's Emerson Royal. And and maybe he wasn't quite the, um, obviously the the goal, him turning up in the right place, um, him being very good on defense, um, contributing to the attack. I think he... He's been very good, was very good this particular match, but just over the last three matches, I mean, what a a change in him. Um, and I don't know if it's just confidence is there, or whether it's having the threat of uh, his position being taken away from him by uh, Pedro Porro, but uh, he's really stepped into the a role, and it's nice to see, and uh, like it's it creates a difficult problem about who we're going to play moving forward. Uh, uh, maybe he is the first pick for uh, for a while at least. Which who would have thought we'd be saying that uh, when you like if you went back and listened to, into the Wayback Machine into our episodes from September, uh, what we were saying about Emerson Royal. So I just want to give him a shout there, but I I do think Ben Davis deser- deserves it here. Um, how about LVP? Uh, does anybody have somebody? Uh, Lucas? Uh, yeah, for me it was an easy one. I think Langley was awful yesterday. Um, I think he made a lot of mistakes, and he just didn't look uh, didn't look anywhere near the level that we've come to expect from him. So, yeah, Langley was mine. Okay, uh, Sai. Uh, unfortunately, I'm on the Langley train, and I was pretty surprised that they did not slot Davis back there sooner. Um, and I, it kind of goes with their whole defense. And I just want to mention our defense real quick. I mean, Lucas is right. Romero did have a really nice game. Romero's nuts. I mean, he's just he's he's a great defender, amazing energy, always on the ball, um, slide tackles everything, even if he doesn't need to, um, and uh, it, it gets himself into trouble. And I'm getting a little worried that he's going to start picking up just way more yellows. He's getting kind of a little bit of a name for himself to um, a couple risque, if you will, tackles. Um, and then the but the the Dyer and Langley pairing back there is just. God, I love Eric Dyer I, I, as a human being, but it's just, it's just the days are numbered. I'm hoping by the end of the season, we have a brand new center back there. Um, and Langley's a lone, so 
the Lone Lene needs to needs to head out because I I don't think he's anywhere near what we need at that spot. And Davis is old, and as much as I love him, he's not solid, solid every day, third in the back. Um, so uh, the defensive pairings is the one thing that I thought the whole match was where we were the weakest, which is funny because we we beat them two nil. Um, but uh, we really were like like we said earlier, weren't really challenged all game long. And when we were, Langley looked just brutal. Yeah, uh, good shout there, Catherine. Uh, do you have anybody? Well, not to continue pouring the the hate train on Longley. I I can see where you guys are coming from, but when and I know I've mentioned this before, but when I think of MVP and LVP, I think of the the value that they normally bring, and then if they're exceeding that or if mat- if they're matching it or if they're just falling way behind it. And so if you can see where I'm going, I would probably say Kulishevsky just because he normally has such a high standard and his ceiling is incredibly high. And it's not necessarily the least valuable player on the pitch. It's just more so in my mind, I'm thinking it's the least value that he's brought. Um, like each individual player, like we're used to seeing Longline not having great games. And so that's why Kulishevsky not again, like he's had a few bad games in a row. And so I think that maybe similar to Sun, that he just needs to have the the spark plug moment and he just gets a goal and, and then he's just fired into the into the MVP conversation. But um, I think against West Ham, he was probably alongside Longley probably within the LVP conversation. Well, and yeah, I, I do agree with you as well. Like uh, we're going to make it an even split. I had Kulishevsky though. I do think uh, even when he's playing bad, like he, he um, commands a lot of attention on that right side that, um, that the uh, opposing defense has to give um, where when he's not on there, um, uh, it's, difficult to take him off and then you start to have concern who else is going to bring their creativity other than Kane and Kane can't be everything so uh Lucas yeah part of me wonders um part of me wonders if like who's carrying some kind of injury or something because he just he seemed off the last several games now so hopefully that's not something serious and that he can kind of get back on track because we're going to need him to play really well if we're going to beat Chelsea uh, but last thing I wanted to bring up, though, just to wrap up West Ham, a uh, big shout out to the return of Lucas Mora, my favorite beloved player. Uh, I think it was so good to see him come back. He looked excited, got a good shout from the stands. And I think that we're definitely going to need him if we're going to have all these games and all the rotation that we're going to be needing to use. Uh, he's going to be an important part of our next couple months. So it was really good to see him get a get a run and finally get back out on the pitch. Yeah, good shout. Good shout there. Um, well, I think this is a good place to go to half. Uh, so the second half, we're just going to talk about um, uh, maybe how our positioning in the league is quickly changed, or maybe it hasn't, or maybe we're just going uh, uh, teeter-tottering back and forth on uh, our expectations. Uh, and then we're going to uh, preview the upcoming uh, home match against Chelsea. Um, but first, we are going to go to Luke's Locks. Luke's Locks! Welcome back to Loose Locks. First up is going to be taking over two and a half goals in the game featuring Leeds at home to Southampton. 
Leeds and Saints sit 19th and 20th in the table, respectively. So this will be a massive game for each club. Leeds, while poor, still have the ability to get forward and attack. And I think we'll see Leeds being ultra-aggressive to try and take advantage of the opportunity that you get when you're playing the worst team in the league at home. Because of that, it should be a very open game with the potential for loads of goals. So take over two and a half and Leeds at home versus Southampton. Next up is going to be a bit of a wild card here, seeing what we saw yesterday. But we're going to take West Ham minus a half goal at home against Nottingham Forest. Forest will be coming off the back of an emotional, well-earned point against City. Uh, and they'll be due for a little bit of a letdown. West Ham, despite their position on the table, are a stronger side and will be desperate to climb out of the bottom three. So look for West Ham to bounce back and get all three points at home. Take West Ham minus a half goal at home to Forest. Third game this week is going to be Man City minus a half or minus one and a half goals away at Bournemouth. City dominated Forest at the weekend and let points slip away by failing to capitalize on almost a dozen sitters. Uh, it's never good to be the team playing City after they drop points. Bournemouth are 17th on the table for a reason and won't have enough to keep a very hungry Man City out. So City should have no trouble rolling to an easy win. Take City minus one and a half goals away at Bournemouth. Fourth and final game this week is going to be an underbet between our beloved Tottenham Hotspur at home against Chelsea. It's going to be under two and a half goals. Chelsea has been on a poor run of form lately, but love nothing more than turning up when they play our Spurs. I would love for us to come out swinging and bash in some goals, but time and time again, we show a lack of backbone when we play Chelsea, and I don't expect us to show the creativity that it takes to break them down. That being said, I also expect our defense to be up to the challenge as well. So this is going to be a low-scoring game, I think. So take under two and a half goals in Spurs at home to Chelsea. There you have it. There's your free four picks of the week. Let's go get rich, kids. Well, thanks as always, Lucas. Um, anybody putting money on this one besides Lucas? <laughs> Catherine, uh, I was, are you I think I always, well, thank you, Lucas, by the way, for those uh, shouts, but I don't know. I, <laughs> I think I'm the opposite whenever I'm on the podcast or whenever I, I put in my, my, um, what I think is going to happen. And then I just end up putting money on Tottenham to win anyways, <laughs> even if I'm like, Oh, we're going to get a draw or we're going to lose. And then I just need, need to back Spurs. So I'm a, I've been betting on Lucas's one of four. So my, my new thing now is I'm betting one game of the weekend. So I'm not betting four Luke's locks. I'm going to figure out which one I like. and I'm going to bet the one. And the one I like is the first one. I like the over in the Leeds Southampton game. I like that yeah. a lot. And the, the one, like the big one for me, I, I think the one I'm going to put the most money on is probably city at Bournemouth. Um, like I said in there in the locks, I mean, if you're if you're the team that's playing City after they just drop points and they're in a title chase, like you you don't want to be that seat. Bournemouth is probably going to get City's going to come out and just probably beat the hell out of them. So that one I'll probably sprinkle on. But who knows? And I think this is a good place to transition. That one I said I think it's going to be the under. That's just a gut feeling, really, because I this Chelsea team. It's just, I, I think when we they lost to Southampton this weekend and watching that just it gutted me because I wanted them to beat Southampton because I'm like the last thing we want to do is play Chelsea after they lose because they love nothing more than to just turn up they could lose 15 games in a row but when they're playing Spurs they're going to turn up it's just what they do it's so fucking annoying yeah. 
Yeah, and we're going to shift into um, Chelsea, but I do want to have just a quick conversation about. Um, so with the with our victory, we've moved back into fourth place, um, which seemed like it was unattainable just a couple short weeks ago. Um, but we we forget that a lot can change in a short period of time. Um, are you guys feeling better about? where Spurs are at right now, or uh, do you think that this is just going to be a temporary bump and we're going to feel down again in a couple of weeks about uh, where we're going? Uh, Sai? Uh, yeah, I, I think we are a fifth to sixth place club at the end of the season. That's just where I see us sitting at the end of the year. Uh, too many fixtures. We're going to really try to go out for the FA Cup. We're going to really go out for the Champions League. And I think as much as fourth is of a huge priority. Um, I just don't think we're good enough at this point in time until, until proven. I think the, the top four is basically who they are. Now we're in the four, but Newcastle's a game in hand. I don't see Newcastle faltering. I think they're going to end up getting fourth um, and we're going to end up fifth and we're going to win the FA cup and I'm going to have, I'm going to be fine with it. So that's where I sit. Well, I I would be okay with that if we got the FA Cup for sure, uh, Lucas. Yeah, um, I I think I I think we are good enough. I don't think we're healthy enough, and I think that's the problem. Is I think that had you asked me this question a week and a half ago, I would have been all for it, saying yeah, we can finish top four, we can finish third, like we can hunt these guys down. But the the reality is by losing Basuma and by losing. Bentoncourt, who's been just like the heartbeat of our midfield, we're pretty much going into a top four race with Newcastle, and it's going to be. I mean, yes, you could consider Liverpool's on their way back up. They got a couple games in hand. I think Brighton and Fulham are showing promise, but I don't expect them to have the the longevity of being able to continue in the race. But I think it'll come down to us, Liverpool and uh, and Newcastle, and I think that we just aren't healthy enough to have, we're going to be going into that race with an unproven midfielder in Saar, a inexperienced midfielder in Skip and Hoybier. And that's pretty much it. So I think that if we were a little bit more healthy, I, I think there's no reason we shouldn't be finishing top four this season and chasing down Newcastle and keeping them at bay. But I, I just, I can't see it. I think size right. We're probably going to end up in the fifth or sixth range. If that happens and we win the FA cup, I'll live with it, but it's a big ask. So, um, yeah, like we talked about earlier, we got a lot of rotation that's going to need to happen because we got a lot of games left and we don't have that many healthy players. See, it's uh, so interesting that you say that, though, because I'm a little of two minds. Like, I'm very much in the camp of the both of you, Cy and Lucas, uh, where I'm thinking, eh, we'll probably maybe win the FA Cup or maybe get fifth because of the injuries and the rotation and and just not really having everything all come together. But then, and that's like my realistic side, but then my optimistic side is more like, well, we got to the Champions League final with a very bastardized version of our squad back then. Like we were playing not well. We lost so many games away from home. And we were we also had injuries Lorente was up top. <laughs> yeah, we had who, God bless him, like, may he have a great retirement and sit on the beaches of Italy or Spain or France or wherever he's going to live and and have everyone look at his 
tree of a how tall he is, but um, I think that I yeah I see that that year, and I think well we did it then, so why not we could Frankenstein's monster this time too. So that's why I'm in two camps of thinking well we we could always finish fourth and or be in the, be in the top four somewhere, but then especially thinking back to this weekend, I watched the Liverpool game and I was like, they're kind of shit this year. But then I don't want to say that too loud because they'll come rearing back with my luck. Um, But it's a tough question. It's a, it's a tough thing to look at. Well, well at the same time, who would have thought that Emerson Royal would have made both the, um, uh, Declan Rice and um, uh, just a few, a couple of weeks ago. Um, um, geez, why am I brain freezing? Um, Grealish. Uh, yeah, Jack Grealish, like they're his little bitch. So who knows what could happen? Uh, maybe the players that we have can do it. But Lucas, go ahead. I think a big thing too. It's a kind of an elephant in the room that we're not all talking about. That is very impactful for how we're going to finish. Is who's our manager? Like, is Conte going to stay? Like, is Conte going to be a part of, like, actually seeing this out and trying to get us into top four? Or is he going to kind of maybe take his foot off the gas mentally? Or is he just going to get sacked? Or is he just going to walk away from the club? Like, there's so much up in the air about that that we don't know. And you would like to think, well, well, we're not going to sack him or anything if we're in a top four race. But that being said, we sacked Mourinho a week before a cup final. So whatever it's going to be, it's going to come down to, like, pinching pennies here and there with Levy saying, no, no, well, we could save a couple million if we sack him now, but that could be a thing that we have to think about too. So I think that's really a big thing and whether a big contributor on whether or not we finish top four is do we have a manager that's trying to drive us into the top four or do we have Ryan Mason or do we have who knows who? So there's a lot up in the air, but I think it can be done and we just got to take it one game at a time. Hope we can stay healthy and who knows, maybe we'll see, Skip and Sar and Hoybeer develop into this like awesome trio of midfielders, and maybe we'll see like Pedro Poro. Maybe we'll just turn into like an absolute beast or something. And so there's a lot of variables up in the air, and I think I'd like to hope that we finish top four because uh, it'll be really important for us to try and keep guys like Kane and draw in new players over the summer. So it should be our priority is trying to get top four. Yeah, uh, well, good shouts there all around. Let, let's move the conversation into this Chelsea match. Um, so, yeah, they're sitting in 10th place right now, so not very impressive. Like, we thought with all these this big spending that they were going to take off, and I do think that they are going to be a huge threat next season, but, um, but whether they'll have it um, this match is a, a big question. Um, we did talk about their loss to Southampton, but they did lose also in the Champions League to Dortmund prior to the, uh, that. Um, we know who their goal threats are and uh, who we have to be worried about there, so I'm not going to kind of go into all that. But I just want to say um, we have to go all the way back to 2018 to find uh, two consecutive results in the league against Chelsea. There was a... 2020 there was uh we did win a, a league match and then beat them in the league cup as well but if we want to just focus on the league we have to go all the way back to 2018 to find two consecutive uh uh times getting a uh draw and or win from them in the, in the same season so um 
you know, we've we've uh, we drew them uh, back in August, obviously with the two-two, and we've lost to them the last four times that we faced them. So it's been a little bleak. Um, despite how bad they're playing, do you guys think there's any chance at all here that uh, that we, we that we can beat Chelsea at our place? Uh, Sai? I definitely think we can beat them. Um, I, th- I think their their biggest thing right now they've had. The last five results are, I think, two losses and three draws. Um, they're just a, they just signed so many people, and Potter's just so overwhelmed with this this bowl of soup of ingredients that he does not know who to play where, when to play who, where, uh, who should start. It's just like a hodgepodge right now that they're trying to figure out, and um, I don't know who we're going to see. I don't, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you what the start. I couldn't bet a, I couldn't bet a dollar. That what that lineup's going to look like for them. So, um, I think from our side of it, I think we do see Emerson Morel, um, Royal again, um, defensively because they are fast up front, and we're going to be a defensive-minded team with the counterattack. So I, I think Pedro's going to be on the bench again. I think Lucas is right who might come in um, against Sheffield um, March first. But um, no, I, th- I definitely think we can get a result. We're at home. Uh, we're playing well. Um, Just real fast, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but uh, since you kind of dove into it, like I'm, uh, I want to uh, tackle Kyle Mate's question. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Kyle, Kyle asks us thoughts on wing back selection: Davis at left wing back, Poro or Emerson versus Chelsea, and you think obviously uh, that Emerson should go against Chelsea. It sounds I, like. I, I, yeah, well, I guess I ran right into that question. I do. So I think it's going to be Davis, and I think it's going to be Emerson again. Uh, Pirisic, unfortunately, is really well in that attacking third, but he has shown over the last like four or five games that defensively he's just getting kind of toasted, and it's noticeable, and they're noticing it. And Sessegnon's hurt. Um, we don't have anybody else. Can't put Royal over there and start Pedro. Um, that would just be a trap. Royal's not a left wing back, um, let alone a right. So um, I think we're going to see Davies, and I think we're going to see Royal again starting at home. Okay, so the, you, you you kind of agree with uh, Kyle's assessment, uh, Lucas? Yeah I, yeah, I actually think we will see Perisic start. Um, I think we'll see that he's going to have a full week's rest here, um, which is important for him with his age. Uh, so a full week's rest going into the game. I think we'll need him. Yes, we'll need we'll need our back three to be able to cover because, as I mentioned, Perisic has been. He's been suffering a little bit defensively and with his ability to get back, and he's been getting skinned a couple times a game now. But I think he's going to be really important to us being able to create chances, and I think we'll take the gamble there, especially because the last time we saw Chelsea, it took set pieces to break him down. So or it took a very nice corner at the end. and So I think we'll see Perisic's ability to play in a ball will probably outweigh his risk of getting skinned, I think, I think Ben. I think a big thing is Ben Davis played really well, but like I had mentioned earlier, had West Ham been coming at us aggressively, I don't think. I think there's a big risk of Ben being able to get back and down, up and down the pitch as well. So, I think we'll probably take the gamble and take what Perisic can offer us going forward. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think Royale will start, and then we'll see uh, Pedro Porro get his start against Sheffield. Yeah, it seems like uh, with the with the midweek coming up, that's a better place to give him his second start. Maybe build up a little confidence for him. Um, 
and and a few more weeks in training with the rest of the squad. So I, I agree with your assessment there, Lucas. Catherine, do you have any different thoughts there? Nothing really on our side, but I've been looking at, well, sadly, unfortunately for me, I'm looking at the Chelsea website to see who they played. And, and they are kind of uh, piecemealing their squad together because like what you guys are saying that Potter is under his head and, and he doesn't, I don't think... I don't think he realized the extent to how Chelsea is who they are. Um, that did not make any sense, but uh, I think that with the, so he played four, four, two against Southampton and that clearly did not work. So I'm wondering if he'll, he'll uh, change it up and, and they also have a handful of injuries. They have, um, uh, they have Pulisic out, they have um, Mendy out, they have uh, somebody else out, Conte, I think, as well. And so they have a handful of players who would normally be the crux of their spine who aren't playing. And so I don't know where I'm going with this, but I'm interested to see who's healthy on their side, but also in the comparison who will be healthy but looking ahead like I was mentioning earlier we have a handful of other games in the next few weeks too that we need to be looking forward to and do we play Davis rather than a Perisic and I'm sure that that's what Stellini is going to be thinking about during uh, training that we have to have that give and take and and understand how many minutes our wingbacks and, and our aging players, quote unquote, because they're younger than me mainly, um, that our aging players are are playing. So, like I said, I didn't really have anything important to note, but it's it'll be it'll be yeah. There's no other word besides interesting to see how we match up against them, given each team's injury list plus their upcoming games and. And uh, they've got the formation think about coming up and things like that, too. Yeah. yeah. Lucas. Yeah, I think the, the big thing that's going to be different is we all. And that's one of the reasons that I, I had mentioned the this is a good transition, I guess, into the Chelsea game. But the the thing is, with West Ham, West Ham picked the wrong. They had the wrong game plan coming in, like, in against us and they had the lack of quality. So when we did make mistakes, they weren't able to capitalize and we were easily able to rectify those mistakes. The difference with Chelsea is, yeah, they have a bit of a hodgepodge of a lineup right now. And Potter hasn't really decided how he wants to go about like building their identity. But they still have loads of guys that can hurt you and continuously hurt us time and time again. And it's like they have like guys like Aspilicueta, Koulibaly, Ben Chilwell, Mason Mount. Uh, they have like, Havertz. Gallagher, like these are guys that are. If you give them uh, Sterling, if you give these guys opportunities, yeah. like, hurt you. And so we have to be much more. We have to play a lot better than we did against West Ham. And unfortunately, West Ham is the first time in a while that we turned up and looked decent enough. So we have to be better than decent enough. We have to well, actually. City play. was only a couple of weeks ago. In City, and but City, we always play well against, and that kind of leads into my next point. Is like I mentioned with, uh, like the mentality thing where. Chelsea just seems to, no matter what, just they get turned up against Tottenham. It works the exact opposite with us. 
no matter how good we're playing, whenever we play Chelsea, we treat them as if they're some gods and we can't go attack them. Or it's it's just it's so weird. Whenever we play Chelsea, we look like we're so scared out there. But when we play Man City, we look like we're world beaters that aren't afraid of anything. It's the so, inverse of City. Yeah, it's like we need to turn up against this side and actually treat it as if it's just any other game. Like just we we can't look at it like oh my god it's Chelsea. And for some reason I don't know what it is with the mentality of our players. But time and time again, we see us turning up against Chelsea and just panicking. Like, I can't remember the last time we played Chelsea and we scored first. Yeah. Well, uh, how about you roll right into your prediction with that, uh, Lucas? Well, I know I think, you kind of gave us a, a sneak preview with the uh, with your uh, locks. But but I, I think we'll be 1-1. I think we'll, um, we'll probably go down first in the first half, and then I think we'll be able to – I think that'll probably it, it'll be one of those games where we need that kick up the ass that we've seen us all year have where we go down first and then all of a sudden, like like we did against Milan, go down first and then spend the rest of the game trying to fight back and claw our way back into it and get that equalizer. But I think we'll get it. So I think we'll go down one it'll probably like Sterling or. Or Jao Felix or someone will probably get one in. There's another one I didn't mention. that. It's actually happen. Sterling who's injured. It was oh. Conte. It was Sterling. Yeah. Okay. Sterling Broha, Pulisic. He was there. Uh, he played against Southampton. He has knee problems since February 9th. Okay, well, he was on the pitch against Southampton, so uh-huh. I would see him this week against us at least make a cameo then. But yeah, I think we'll we'll go down one 0 and I think Harry will come back and get us a goal, and we'll have a one one draw. Okay, uh, Sai. Oh, I wish I was that optimistic. I. I... I think we can win this game. I do, but I think we're going to go down early, like Lucas said. Um, whether we can battle back or not um, is to be seen. I'm going to say we're going to lose this thing, and the reason why I didn't do Luke's locks on this game is because I think we're going to lose one-two. Um, and um, I'm not sure where the goal from us is coming from. I'm going to say it's it's Sar um, or something like that who comes in the second half and uh, and gets up world beater from 22 out or something like that any more optimism from you Catherine? <laughs> oh boy uh i think that similar to lucas i think it'll probably be a draw i think it would be more of a 2-2 draw um because i think we'll see a a brace from kane kind of like the deli brace uh from a few years ago that we we show up but then we it'll it'll be the opposite of what we've been seeing it'll be like we're great in the first half and then we kind of shit the bed in the second half sorry sorry about that uh i'm gonna be the optimist um i think um yes it sounds like stellini will still be our coach for this one um uh, Conte might not be back yet, and uh, he's got a record to keep. I mean, he has not lost uh, uh, when he's replacing Conte. So I think we're going to find a way to win this, and I'm going to predict a 2-1 win. Um, I think it's going to be um, uh, Richie in the first half. I think Richie's going to start again um, because it worked. Uh, so why why change it when it's working and and throw Sun Sun back on there uh, when we've seen it regress again after he's uh, come through? Um, so so I think it'll be probably Kane feeding um, 
Richie the ball this time. Um, and, and he gets his first uh, Premier League goal with us. And then uh, I think the second one will be Sun coming on in a substitution role later on. Um, but I, it's it certainly might be a case, like Lucas said, where we go down uh, first. like So we give up the first goal and have to fight back. Um, but um, I'm going to be the optimist and say that we pull it out somehow. And this is our, our home. They're playing bad. Um, just things might fall into place with this one. I don't. I don't know why I'm feeling a little bit confident, but I. I just want. I. I'm hoping that we see things fall into place. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap up the episode? Not another. Not another. Uh, Lucas, anything uh, you want to add? Nope. Um, I'm just going to uh, wrap it up by saying uh, uh, I think it's. Uh, it's nice to see this type of victory against West Ham. It's nice to see players that uh, have been very underappreciated uh, step up. Uh, um, and, uh, and and getting quality quality wingback performances from um, from players that uh, we don't think of as wingbacks uh, um, d- does give me like a little bit of a warm and fuzzy feeling. And and I want to believe that now that we're back in fourth place, that we can fight for this. Um, And maybe the Conte that came in last year and kind of uh, turned us around uh, after the city performance is the one that, um, that we're going to see bring us out of the rest of the season. And, and we end and find a way to a get top four in champions league and maybe have that chance at the FA Cup and dare I think actually win a, a trophy. Um, I, I want to be confident. I know that there hasn't been much that, that that's there's been to be excited about. Um, it's been this roller coaster of a year, but it's been such a weird year and anything can happen. That World Cup, the uh, injuries. Let's see where it goes. Like I, I, I think we have so, some things to be excited about. Um, Cheers. Amen. Yeah. But that about wraps it up. So thank you so much to Cy, Lucas, and Catherine for being on today. And thanks for Tommy for doing the editing today, Charlie for the music, Sam for social media, Kimberly for the logo, and as always, The Atlantic. It was great to be back out there. Thanks for coming out, Shubes. Uh, uh, We know that you're a loyal listener. It was nice to see you uh, at the pub in person. Uh, Find us on our many platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. Hit the subscribe button and write us a review on those platforms where you can. Uh, And uh, let us know what you think of the podcast. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook at 4 Spurs and our website at 4starspurs.com. Come on, you Spurs.